Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, Toby and our brothers and sisters at Kings have been on this journey with us. Lord, we thank you for the anointing you have placed upon this man, the, the giftings you have given him. Lord, all that is, is going on, we rejoice in what's happening at Kings. Lord, we pray your anointing upon him now as he brings your word. Uh, pray that the words he brings will be from you. And Lord, that we will receive them. We will hear them with our ears, receive them in our hearts, and have the faith to act on them as you speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is it right if I put this down? I don't know how to do it. I might mess it up. I have a history of doing this to things. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Much appreciated. Oh, it's good to be here. And uh, it's been a while. I think it's before Christmas time I was here last. And as has been said, I've become a granddad. Thursday, I think it was. And um, I'm slightly tired. Um, my daughter is living with us. And... Um, and uh, so excuse me if I forget my words or something. Um, I've got a slightly sore back as well. I think that's just becoming a granddad. You're allowed to say things like that now. Oh, my back's a bit sore. Oh, can't lift that. Oh, can't do that DIY. Um, <laughs> but it's important to mark moments, isn't it? In family life, obviously, it's a moment for us. And in church life, church is family. You know, we say it's at Kings all the time. You know... It's like when, you know, words don't go up. It doesn't matter. We're not slick. We're not, it's not, church isn't an event that you attend. You know, it's a family you're part of and you get drawn into and that you gather together as family together. And so it's not about being slick, you know. It's about being genuine church family together and marking moments like this. You know, last week we had the privilege of saying goodbye to James and Jess and... I said privilege of saying goodbye to them. That came out wrong, didn't it? See, that's the first one. <laughs> privilege of Christ. It is a privilege. It's a privilege to be sending them. <laughs> this is just the first of many. Get used to it today. <laughs> Love you, really. <laughs> but we genuinely did have the privilege of praying for them and, and sending these guys who are so dear to us. The only words that James could get out was, I'm grateful to the church. That was it. The rest was tears. Um, because we're genuine family. So if you're new to church, and if it's your first time at church today, look, it's not about a kind of religious organisation or anything like that. It's about people who are focused on Jesus and are following him, put their trust in him, who are together in a family, and you learn to deeply want, love, love one another and journey with one another. And so we're still on that journey. It's a privilege to be part of it with these guys. And um, anyway... I'll start crying in a minute if I keep going on. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. Now, think, have you just done a series on this? Am I right? Well, apologies then if I repeat. If, I've, if I say what's already been said, it's no bad thing, is it? I need to read the same thing pretty much every day. I don't know what you're like with the Bible. But, um, so hopefully with 1 Corinthians then you're familiar with it and you know it. But I really felt to speak from it this morning, from chapter 1. So that was obviously longer ago, chapter 1, you'd have done, so uh, we'll get there in a minute. But if you don't know Corinthians, it was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and um, he, he'd been the one to establish that church, to put the foundations in. He talks about that in the letter to the Corinthians, that I was a master builder, I put foundations in among you. In other words, he laid, uh, you know, if you've ever done DIY, foundations are really quite important. 
and you don't get the foundations right, the building can grow all sorts of different ways or fall down completely. So foundations are important, and Paul says, I put the foundations in, and ultimately, he says, the foundations are Christ and who Jesus is, his work, what he has done, who the person of Christ is. And he's put those foundations in, and he said, now you've been building on those foundations. And he'd moved on from Corinth about, what, 18 months later or so, so he spent about a year and a half with the church there, investing his time, his energy, speaking, preaching, and so on. And uh, then they started building locally, local church, and, uh, and it hadn't quite gone so well, which I'm sure you're aware of if you've been going through 1 Corinthians, that you'll, you'll know that they were kind of, other things had been shaping them as a church. Because when you build something, a plan is good. In fact, we had some roofs done recently at home, and um, I've learned a bit of a lesson. It's always good to get plans done first. And I uh, didn't get plans done because I thought, ah, it's not a big job particularly. Some people come in and do it and so on. We're now regretting that. Plans are good, and plans are good when they're followed as well. And they're because they shape you, as it were. These things kind of start to shape you. And God's Word does that to us. And it shapes how we build church life. And Paul had taught them, but they hadn't necessarily taken hold of what needed to shape them most. And so they'd been shaped by different things. They'd been status-shaped. I mean, in Corinth, they loved the Greeks. They just loved their Brad Pitts. You know, their kind of Greek hero. Anyone seen Troy? Is that Brad Pitt? I think it's Brad Pitt, isn't it? Or think, um, if you're into your Marvel, who's Mar- Marvel or DC? Or am I asking? Well, anyway, never mind. <laughs> Forget that. Um, I had an argument with someone the other day. That's why it's on my mind. Anyway, Thor. Do you know who Thor is? Thunder God. And in the, mo- the movies Marvel, anyway, if you haven't seen them, check them out. I think they're great films. I love Thor, he's great, but he's kind of big and muscular. You expect him to kind of do great things, really, when you look at Thor. And the Greeks just love their Greek heroes. And so they were kind of getting influenced by this. And that's kind of how they like their leaders as well. And because of that, maybe they were pride-shaped as well, with spiritual gifts. They were puffed up on human wisdom and thinking, well, my gift's kind of better than your gift, and all that sort of stuff was going on in the church. So it wasn't great. They also loved the kind of... The Greeks as well, it wasn't just the Thors of this world, or the Brad Pitts of this world, that looked impressive, but it was those that could maybe speak in an impressive way as well. So they loved their deep thinkers, those who were very articulate with their words and could articulate. I find this with Russell Brand. I like Russell Brand. I'd love to have dinner with him. If you haven't heard of Russell Brand, he's quite a popular figure and has a podcast of millions and other things. But sometimes I listen to him and I think... That all sounds very clever, but I'm not sure what you're actually saying and how much use of it is going to be in my daily life, really. Now, please, don't get me wrong here. I'm, I don't want to slay him because I actually really like the guy. And, but it's kind of sometimes he said, I'm thinking, let's get behind it. It sounds wise. And the Greeks loved that stuff. They absolutely loved it. And we're, you know, oh, yeah, it's great. But what does it mean? Tell me how that helps you in your marriage. Tell me that helps you in raising your kids. How does that help you in your workplace? What difference does it make in suffering and in sickness and ultimately in death? And so the Greeks kind of loved all this eloquent speaking and the intelligent and all the rest of it. And also they, they, they were Corinthian culture shaped, their ethical values, and they were shaped by external philosophies. Philosophy means the love of wisdom, basically, that's what it means. The love of wisdom. And they loved it. And they loved this kind of talking about life and the universe and how it works and how, oh, and spouting ideas out and so on. 
And, and there was all different philosophies around at that time, many which we're influenced by today. Darren Brown, heard of Darren Brown? Darren Brown, illusionist and so on. He's massively influenced by Stoicism. He's about to write a book on it. Um, and Stoicism was around in Corinth at this time. That would have been one of the philosophies which would influence them as a church. This sense of kind of uh, morality and a stoic. Someone be stoic, you know, kind of do the right thing and that kind of stuff. Well, they were influenced by these external philosophies. And if you're thinking like Toby, I'm really not into philosophy at all. Let me tell you, whether you're into it or not, you are influenced by it. And in our culture, we are influenced by different things that will shape us as a culture. There's many different things. I think there's two major ones going on at the moment. One is consumerism, and and that is a philosophy of life, that basically if you buy this, you'll be happy, more fulfilled, more complete. Why do you think they have pictures of nice, shiny, happy people in advertising um, who look happy driving their new car or wearing those new clothes? Because they're saying, you too can be this happy. You too can be like this if you have this thing. And we consume things. One of my pet hates is going into a certain store in Norwich called Primark. (laughs) I hate it. My daughters know I hate it. Um, As a dad, I spent time with them every week and and growing up, and it was to do whatever they wanted, and some of that was clothes shopping. And I was like, Primark, really, please, no... And, and, and I won't go into why I hate it so much, but I was in there yesterday, sitting on... They've got a seat in there now, which I was quite happy about. <laughs> and I sat down on that for a while. But it's something, you look at just watching around, you're watching these racks of just stuff, and people kind of flocking to these cathedrals, if you like. Because that's what they're designed for. They draw you in. They draw you into a worldview. They draw you into a way of living. And this stuff influences what we just consume, consume, consume. China are very happy with this in their export industry, with our consumption of their goods. And it massively influences us. And it can influence the way we view church as well. Well, what am I going to get out of it? How, how, how are these leaders going to feed me? Great, James and Jess are coming. Right. Consume, consume, consume. And I know that's not your hearts. But we've got to be aware of the consumerism that's in our culture. The other philosophy which I think can really shape us as churches we need to be aware of as well, which I'm sure you are, is individualism. We are a highly, highly individualistic culture. Highly individualistic. I wanted to learn a bit more about this recently, so I read the book by Will Storr called Selfie, How the West Became Self-Obsessed. It's a fascinating read of why other places like in the Far East, Japan and other nations became more family, community focused and how did the West become so I-focused. And Anne Rand, who was, has popularised all sorts of beliefs, you may have never heard of Anne Rand, but she was um, a writer, highly influential, and she talks about the, the I as like God, the me. If you haven't heard of Anne Rand's philosophy, maybe you've heard phrases like be true to yourself. This is another thing, someone I pet hates, to be honest with you. Like walking into different sort of... Um, uh, uh, this isn't just a moan, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Jesus. But walking into stores and you see these little things like in Next Home, little postcards, be true to yourself, believe in yourself. Walk down the corridor there, you've got a, a display with some of this stuff on. Look inside yourself. This is massively influenced from Anne Rand and others before her and so on. Individualism, the I is the centre of all things. Look inside yourself. 
All these kind of things. Be true to yourself. And, and so these things can influence us as a church, the way we view one another. Again, if we come to church with an individualistic mindset, then we're not going to be looking out for the other. We're not going to be loving in the way that Jesus said to love, which is completely opposite to this. And what gets produced in the church as well is in Corinth, there's things like unhelpful factions, there was disunity, there was boasting over leaders, there was relational friction, there was arguments, there was jealousy, there was moral failure. Because they were not allowing the gospel message, they were not allowing the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and everything that he has done and everything that he has taught to ultimately shape them as a community. And I know for you guys, you have been as a church, seeking to do that, be shaped by the gospel of Christ, and that's what's going to carry on. But I just want to give a few things that I hope will be helpful to us, that focusing in on this message of the gospel and how it shapes us as a church will be helpful and build on what you already know as well. So if you've got a Bible, so turn to 1 Corinthians 1.18, and I'm going to read down to 2.5. What time do I need to be done by? Sorry, just... Three o'clock. Brilliant. Fine. <laughs> Everyone else isn't thinking that. <laughs> okay, let's read through this. It's good just to read through the Bible together. So we're going to read from verse eight, one, 1 verse 18 through to 2 verse 5. It says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him. And God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to our culture. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards, not many influential. There's not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence of human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, I came to you in weakness, with great fear, And trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God, I just pray, just 
speak to us, ears to hear what you're saying and hearts to receive it. And as Andrew already prayed, put it into practice to live this out. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. And I pray, Lord, that through weakness that you would work. In your name. Amen. So three things that I believe can help us continue to build healthy church life. The first is this, what the cross does and what this message of the cross does, because Paul kind of drops it on them at the beginning, really. He's at the start of his letter. You know, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He's just actually started talking about division within the church. And he's going to go on to talk about these different factions that were happening and divisions in the church. But it's interesting that immediately he launches into speaking about the cross. It's like, hey, what's going to make a difference in this situation? Is it going to be me kind of appealing to you with the wisdom of this world going, hey, would you please kind of try and get on a little bit and hopefully we can sort these things out and maybe if I come in and we get a bit of self-help and a bit of reflective listening, maybe, maybe, maybe we can kind of do a little bit better with our relationships and so on. And he doesn't. He goes straight to the message of the cross. And, uh, which is key. Because some in the, in the church were dismissive of the cross in Corinth. Some of them were ashamed of the cross. Well, it's foolishness. Oh, this whole thing about a crucified... Can, we, can, we, can there not be another message, quite frankly? Because this is a little bit kind of, you know, sticks in the throat a little bit when we talk to people. And our friends down the street at number 32, when I talk about this crucified Messiah, they kind of laugh at me and they don't really get it. Some of them were saying there's no resurrection and all these other things were going on. And Paul wants them to fully embrace the message of the cross. And there's three things it does. Number one, it keeps us from putting leaders on a pedestal. That's what the message of the cross does. Paul did not fit the mould as an impressive speaker. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, I think it is, or is it 1 Corinthians, I can't think now, but in one of them Paul says that, you know, I'm not an impressive speaker. I'm, I'm not that impressive person. You don't think I'm very impressive. And Paul's, Paul's straight with that. He wasn't that way. He didn't march in kind of all guns blazing. Hey, Paul's here. Save the day. It says he walked in with fear and trembling into that place. And the cross enables us to not put people on a mold. If you think about it in a mold, uh, on, on a pedestal, um, the, the, the Greek hero, right? Picture, just picture Brad Pitt in your head. All right, if it's helpful. Um, <laughs> but you haven't been told that before, have you? <laughs> right, Brad Pitt. And then think, who's, a, who's a great thinker? I don't know. Um, uh, Brian Cox? Uh, no, no. Okay. Um, anyway, someone who's a great thinker, kind of. Picture them in your head. James May. <laughs> someone who's a philosopher, a real kind of deep thinker. Picture someone like that, whoever comes to mind. Right, so you've got Brad Pitt you know, Thor or, or whatever. And then you've got kind of a deep thinker, someone who's got like PhDs galore. Now picture Jesus Christ crucified with blood dripping down on the floor in utter weakness and close to death. That's the deal. It's not impressive. The Bible tells us actually Jesus Christ was crucified in weakness. In weakness. And so Paul comes in with this message himself. I'm coming as a weak man, fear and trembling. You know, you're not going to put someone like that on a pedestal. My preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. Why not? So your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. 
that he's saying, actually, the, uh, I haven't got it within me to do this. I'm coming with this message. I'm speaking it out. And God is doing something that is totally beyond me in the lives of people and informing a community together around the person of Christ. We don't look to the leaders. There's a great bit, actually, in John. I mean, and hear me right when I say we don't look to leaders. We, for, for, there's a bit in John's Gospel where John the Baptist has been talking about Jesus. Yeah? He's been saying, Jesus is coming. One greater than me is coming. And then some of John's disciples come to him one day and they say, John, 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 everybody's going to Jesus. And John's like, yeah, it's kind of the point. <laughs> and then John says this lovely phrase. He says, look, I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. The Messiah was the one who would come and deliver, the one who would save, the one who would do it all, the one who would lead people in deliverance out of Israel and so on, all the rest of it. And, and, and it's a great mantra for leaders. <laughs> Wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, I'm not the Messiah. Because <laughs> not, they're not. James is not. The leaders here are not. You are not. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Really, quite frankly, in life, that I haven't got to have all the answers. I'm not the one who's got to sort things. I'm not the one who's got to rescue people, save people. I called to say what about Jesus and point them to the Messiah, the one who can rescue, the one who can do what we cannot do on our own behalf. But I'm not the Messiah. And when we know that the leader is not the Messiah, uh, in in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? What are they? Do you know the bit that says after that? What is Apollos? This other leader. Because there's these facts. I'm following Apollos. He's a really good leader. I'm following Andrew. Oh, I like Andrew over James. You know, he wears glasses. James doesn't. But, you know, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. What, what does Paul say after that, do you know? What are they? Servants. Only, we're only servants. Okay, great. That's how you see leadership. They are servants in the church. That's what they do. They serve others with their gift, like other people in the body serve with their gift. It's not a position in the church, it's a function within the family. Really important. I know you know this stuff, just reminding, it's not a position, okay, that you kind of aspire to. This isn't a career move for James. <laughs> All right? You don't have a career move when you start working for the church. It's not that. Okay? It's following God's call. And it's a function in a family. And when we have that mindset, we won't put them on pedestals. I'm sure you won't do that. But I did, I, someone said to me once, early on in my leadership, they actually said to me, they were sharing some stuff they were struggling with. And they said, oh, but Toby, because I was empathizing with them. And, and they said, oh, Toby, but, but you're a leader. And I'm like, yeah, and? And they said, yeah, but you don't sin. I was like, what? Man, have I given any impression... <laughs> But it made me think, wow, it's very easy to do. Again, our culture, celebrity culture, all the rest of it, we, we can do it. So anyway, it keeps us. The cross keeps us from doing that. Because remember, we're servants, we're not the Messiah. Two, it keeps us from getting puffed up on pride. Ourselves. Pride is lethal to human flourishing. You might think that's an overstatement. Pride is lethal to, over, to, to human flourishing. to to be full of pride is is to celebrate in my own accomplishments and my own gifts and my own self. Oh, Oh, that's pretty good. And we feel pride. And it can, not only do we celebrate that in ourselves, but it 
elevates us over others, doesn't it? What pride does, really. People say, is it right to be proud of your children then? And I think this can all get a little bit silly sometimes. Well, I mustn't be proud of my children. No, I'm really proud of my kids. I love them to bits. I'm not in, so there can be, we can get a bit too, do you know what I'm saying? With some of this stuff. But pride, as the Bible talks about it, is a dangerous thing. It's a thing that can actually diminish um, the image of God within us because we elevate ourselves. We think that we've got to have everything within ourselves. And, and, and the Corinthians, they had pride in themselves, in their spiritual gifts, and in their leaves, oh, you know, in a, in, not, in a not good way. And so Paul says, think of you when you were called. You see, the cross reveals who we really are. Think about what you were like when you were called. Not many, there's not many wise, there's not many influential, there's not many noble, there's not many impressive. And that's generally speaking in culture. It doesn't mean he was talking about just them as a people, not many of you. The in you bit isn't there in the Greek, it's often in there in the IV. But this whole thing of not many, there's not many who are like this. And, and you guys, do you know what the, um, the underclass, as it were, were called within Rome? Do you know what they were called? Plebs. Bunch of plebs. That's what they were. I'm not being rude. That's, that's what the words, okay? They were. Um, and so this underclass, Paul said, look, you're not special within yourselves. And the cross reveals who we really are. The cross, but it says God chose the weak things. Now, I don't believe Paul is ultimately talking about us there in the choosing of. I think Paul always wants to take us to the cross. Christ crucified in weakness. God chose the weak things. Look, you don't get weaker than the cross. God chose this thing, I and mean, it's been on the screen. No, there it is. There we go. The cross, this, this form of execution. I've got a friend who's into all other religions and all sorts of other stuff, and I asked him the other day, I'm still waiting for an answer on this one, is there any other religion or philosophy in the world that has a form of execution as its central symbol? And then we have to think, well, why Christianity? What is it within Christianity? But God chooses the weak things. Why? To shame the, the no one may boast before him that we're flawed by it, that it, it shows our value. How do we know we're loved by God, that there's no greater love than someone would give their life for us, that we're totally valued? But there's no boasting then. That no one can boast then because this is what I love about the message of the cross, that it utterly floors you and humbles you, doesn't it? that I can attribute nothing. It's not look inside yourself, Toby. Kind of, you've got something to contribute. It's a total gift to be received by grace on your knees, really. And so it, it humbles us, but it, God doesn't rub our face in the dirt. It's not like God goes, mm, you're rubbish, you are. No, he says, you're highly valued and loved, and he exalts us. He lifts us up to a place of dignity, but there is just no room for pride and arrogance. And that's why Paul wants the Corinthians to get this, because if you're going to build a, a healthy church culture, then actually this needs to be central to it, the message of the cross. Otherwise we get puffed up on pride. I mean, when we talk about humility, you know, Philippians chapter 2 talks about this and says that the same attitude that Jesus had, let this attitude be among you as a people. Let it infuse among you as a culture. And, and, and so he says, look, this, Jesus humbled himself to what? To death on a cross. That's the attitude. He says, let this attitude be among you. Each one of us to have that attitude of humility. 
And what God does in that is we keep the cross central in our relationships, in our lives, in, in leadership, and in all these different things that we are doing. Actually, we, God <laughs> helps us to grow in humility. There's a lovely phrase. I think it was a chap called C.J. Mahaney heard years ago. that said, I'm a proud man seeking humility by the grace of God. I'm a proud man seeking to be humble by the grace of God. I like that. That's true. I can say that. Okay, I'm a proud man seeking to be humble. I just want to learn what it means to walk in humility. But the cross enables us today. It reveals who we really are. It reveals the value that God puts on us. It reminds us that it's all ultimately of grace. In verse 30 we just read, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness. So he's alluding to the law courts there. Okay, the justice of God, saying the law courts in Corinth and so on, saying, look, hey, there's justice here. You're forgiven. Jesus has taken the penalty for you. Holiness, relating to the temple in Corinth. Hey, there's, you're holy. You're, you're made right with God. You're made pure with him. You're now set apart to live for him. And redemption speaks about the marketplace, someone who's bought out of slavery. And so these three things Paul talks about. This is who Jesus is, and he's our wisdom from God. We're shaped by the cross in our relationships. It smacks against the consumerism, the individualism in our culture. What is a leader? Servant. We're servants. That's all. That's all. And so the cross keeps us from getting puffed up on pride in terms of how we put leaders on a pedestal or within our own lives, and it starts to create a beautiful culture within the church, as there is here. And the third thing is this. It keeps us in reliance on God. I love it when it says, it, when I came to you, I came in weakness. If you've read any of Paul's letters and you've read 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is, is one of Paul's, I think, most emotionally honest letters. And it's where at the start of it he says, you know, we despaired of life. We didn't want to keep this from you. We want you to know about the trials that we faced. They were so bad. They were pressing in on us so much. We got to the point of despairing of life. That it is okay for leaders to say sometimes, I'm finding it incredibly tough at the moment. In fact, I'm despairing at the moment. How would you feel if you heard that from your leaders? What would you think? You think, oh, blow. Well, they're falling to pieces. my life's not so good. Uh, right, well, I'd better go find another church. Now, there's an appropriateness in the way that we share. Paul seems to share the contours of his suffering and his trials and his fears and his anxieties, but not necessarily all the content of them. Because that's fair enough. Because we don't share the content of everything with everyone. And yet for leaders to go sometimes, hey, would you pray for us because we're going through a tough time at the moment, we're struggling at the minute, that is Okay isn't it? And and Paul says that these things we went through, they cause us to rely on God and not on ourselves, on the God who raises the dead. And so there's something about we go through these things that we rely on God. The cross keeps us in that place. Jesus on the cross displayed that vulnerability and that crying out to God when he was on the cross in his most vulnerable place, didn't he? He says, Father, why, why have you forsaken me? And then praying there, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, even in this moment of my utmost vulnerability facing death I'm in in your hands 
And even Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his execution and trial, he says to his friends, what? Will you do what with me? Pray with me. Oh, right, so if Jesus can do it, and Paul can do it, it's okay for them, I think it's okay for leaders to go, do you know what, please pray for us. And we need help in that. I need help in that as a leader. Because sometimes you think, oh, I've got to not, you know, no, it's okay. And I know you guys will be doing that. But it keeps us in reliance on God. And, and same with the message as well. As Paul, I imagine him walking into Corinth, this cosmopolitan city, with this message of the cross. This message of a crucified Messiah and that this is God with us. There could not have been a more offensive, nonsensical, laughable, untenable, unimpressive, irrational, ridiculous and foolish message. They really couldn't. And that might sound like, oh, what are you on about? It, it, it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. If you, you know. But it's the wisdom of God. And it's oh, that's why. Oh, that does make sense. Oh, my goodness. Because you don't park your brain at the door. It's just important as well, to say this. That, that when you become a Christian, when Paul says that I did not come um, with wise and persuasive words, this writing in Corinthians, this bit here, uh, people who are far more scholarly than myself with the Greek will say it's some of the highest form of Greek writing a person could have done. It's actually quite beautiful and quite poetic. And so Paul is actually using quite high language and almost wise words here to say this. That it's not about wise and persuasive words and it's not about the power in the words. Because the Greeks love their power, they love their oratory, they love these clever speeches and so on. And Paul's saying the power is not in the speeches. Even though this might be beautifully written and almost poetic in language, the power is in the cross. The power is in Christ. It's not in me, it's not in the leaders, it's in the message, it's in who Jesus is. That's the difference here. So we don't park our brain at the door that Paul did try and persuade people. Right? Persuading people isn't wrong. In fact, in, read through the book of Acts and you'll see that Luke, who wrote Acts, uses the word loads of times in terms of persuasion. Paul tried to persuade people the gospel. So it's important we balance it out with that, that we don't park our brain at the door. Study is important, preparation is important, persuasion is important, but Paul is saying the power does not lie there. It lies with God because only he can save. And our reliance is on him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so the message of the cross comes in, deny yourself. So you don't see that on the little board down the hall there. Take up your cross, lose your life. Oh, that's not very inspirational, is it? But actually, this is the wisdom of God that makes foolish the wisdom of man that no one can boast before him. And when you take hold of that message yourself and you live it out and you follow Jesus, you start to realise, man, the wisdom, the wisdom here is phenomenal. And it's that message that just, the cross, just keep it central. Keep it central here. I know you will. But as you go forward into this new season as a church, keep the message of who Jesus is. It says in Colossians, I'll end here. It says in Colossians 3.16, let me read it. I love this verse. Because what should church look like? What should church life look like? What should, um, you know, is it that, well, maybe, you know, we'll get some, I don't know, some 
bigger speakers or some nice banners and maybe we'll have a kind of Costa coffee at the back. I'm not knocking I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying, you know, whatever it might be in, in church life, what is it that you're going to do? How's it going to grow and improve? Well, do you know what? That's all window dressing. Yeah, it's helpful welcoming new people and things like that and what you might do and other things you're going to do in church life. But um, Colossians, I'll get there eventually, don't worry. Here we go. Colossians chapter 3. I just love this. Verse 16. And, and what's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. So you can remember this one, Colossians 3.16. All right? Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart and so on. I just love that first bit. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That's what church life needs to look like. That the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, stays central in all we do. And we, we build on that foundation and we continue to build on that foundation. And whatever God has got planned, directions of, well, you, you will. You're going to think you're going one way and God's going to go, no, nope, over here now. And together you're going to listen to God as a church and you're going to hear him together as a community of people and you're going to follow him into the future that God has for you here in Beckles and beyond as well. So shall we pray? Do you want to stand? I haven't rabbited on too long. Um, but, George, you want to hear? Yeah, let's pray. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, you, you, thank you you're not looking for impressive people. And, uh, Lord, in with James and Jess, maybe they're coming with a bit of trembling and trepidation, stepping into this new season. Well, I thank you this is the pattern we see, Jesus, in you. Even when you said, Father, take this cup from me. <laughs> but not my will be done, but yours. And Lord, I thank you, Father, you're, it's, it's, yeah, it's the way of the cross. And thank you, you're with them. Thank you, you've been in every step of the way of this journey, this process. Thank you, Lord, it wasn't through some <laughs> way of going, oh, James, I think you'll be a good fit. Thank you, it was just a, hey, do you want to come to Beckles and, with me? And then you spoke and you draw on, and this is what you do, Lord. You shepherd us really well. And you guide us really well. And our confidence is the way you've shepherded this church up to this point. Lord, that you're going to now shepherd them into the future. Lord, you're going to shepherd uh, them as a team together. Lord, maybe through, you know, we, as a church together, of course, there's going to be some turbulence and some things like that. And maybe a change of direction. But you are with them. The wind is behind them because... It's by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of the cross, the power of the message of the cross, Lord. That's where the power lies. And we thank you for that. And we pray for that message to ring out from this church into Beckles and beyond. We pray, Father, for you to build something here that people look on and go, only God could do that. It's only God. This is what God does, that you have built a beautiful community. Lord, loving one another deeply from the heart, that they would continue to grow in that love for each other, and those not here yet, but those that will be gathered with them as well. And we pray that in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.